Section 36 of Plutarch, The Morals, Volume 1, 1878. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Recording by Tony Richardson. The Second Oration of Plutarch concerning the fortune or virtue of alexander the great but now i shall return to the beginnings of his advancement and the early dawnings of his power and endeavour to discover what was there the great work of fortune which rendered alexander so great by her assistance first then how came it to pass that some neighing barb did not seat him in the throne of cyrus free from wounds without loss of blood without a toilsome expedition as formerly it happened to darius hystaspes or that someone flattered by a woman as darius by tosa did not deliver up his diadem to him as the other did to xerxes so that the empire of persia came home to him even to his own doors or why did not some eunuch aid him as begoas did the son of parasatis who only throwing off the habit of a messenger immediately put on the royal turban or why was he not elected on a sudden and unexpectedly by lot to the empire of the world as at athens the lawgivers and rulers are wont to be chosen would you know how men come to be kings by fortune's help at argos the whole race of the heraclidae happened to be extinct to whom the sceptre of that kingdom belonged upon which consulting the oracle answer was made to them that an eagle should direct them within a few days the eagle appeared towering aloft but stooping he at length lighted upon aeon's house thereupon aeon was chosen king another time in paphos the king that there reigned being an unjust and wicked tyrant alexander resolved to dethrone him and therefore sought out for another the race of the canaridae seeming to be at an end they told him there was one yet in being a poor man and of no account who lived miserable in a certain garden thereupon messengers were sent who found the poor man watering some few small beds of pot herbs the miserable creature was strangely surprised to see so many soldiers about him but go he must and so being brought before alexander in his rags and tatters he caused him presently to be proclaimed king and clad in purple which done he was admitted into the number of those who were called the king's companions the name of this person was alenimus thus fortune creates kings suddenly easily changing the habits and altering the names of those that never expected or hoped for any such thing all this while what favors did fortune shower upon alexander but what he merited what he sweat for what he bled for what came gratis 
what without the price of great achievements and illustrious actions he quenched his thirst in rivers mixed with blood he marched over bridges of slain carcasses he grazed the fields to satisfy his present hunger he dug his way to nations covered with snow and cities lying underground he made the hostile sea submit to his fleets and marching over the thirsty and barren sands of the gadrosians and aracosians he discovered green at sea before he saw it at land so that if i might use the same liberty of speech for alexander to fortune as to a man i would thus expostulate with her quote, insulting fortune when and where didst thou make an easy way for alexander's vast performances what impregnable rock was ever surrendered to him without a bloody assault by thy favour what city didst thou ever deliver unguarded into his hands or what unarmed battalion of men what faint-hearted prince what negligent captain or sleepy sentinels did he ever surprise when didst thou ever befriend him with so much as a fordable river a mild winter or an easy summer get thee to antioch the son of seleucus to artaxerxes the brother of cyrus get thee to ptolemy philadelphus their fathers proclaimed them kings in their own lifetime they won battles which no mothers wept for they spent their days in festivals admiring the pomp of shows and theatres and still more happy they prolonged their reigns till scarce their feeble hands could weld their sceptres but if nothing else behold the body of alexander wounded by the enemy mangled battered bruised from the crown of his head to the soles of his feet with spears and swords and mighty stones at the battle of the granicus his helmet was cleft to his very skull at gaza he was wounded in the shoulder with a dart among the maragandi he was shot in the shin so desperately that the bone of his shank was broken and started out of his skin in hyrcania he was struck in the neck with a stone which caused such dimness in his eyes that for many days he was in danger of losing his sight among the Asaracans, he was wounded in the heel with an indian dart at which time he thus derided his flatterers with a smiling countenance saying this is blood and no immortal ichor such stream as issues from a wounded god at isis he was run through the thigh with a sword by darius as charis relates who encountered him hand to hand alexander also himself writing the truth with all sincerity to antipater said it was my fortune to be wounded with a poniard in the thigh but no ill symptoms attended it either when it was newly done or afterwards during the cure another time among the mali he was wounded with an arrow two cubits in length 
that went in at his breast and came out at his neck as aristobulus relates crossing the tenais against the scythians and winning the field he pursued the flying enemy a hundred and fifty furlongs though at the same time laboring with a dysentery well contrived vain fortune to advance and aggrandize alexander by lancing broaching boring every part of his body not like minerva who to save menelaus directed the dart against the most impenetrable parts of his armor blunting the force of the weapon with his breastplate belt and scarf so that it only glanced upon his skin and drew forth two or three drops of blood but contrariwise thou hast exposed his principal parts naked to mischief driving the wounds through the very bones rounding every corner of his body besieging the eyes undermining the pursuing feet stopping the torrent of victory and disappointing the prosecution of noble designs for my part i know no prince to whom fortune ever was more unkind though she has been envious and severe enough to several however other princes she destroyed with a swift and rapid destruction as with a whirlwind but in her hatred against alexander she prolonged her malice and persisted still implacable and inexorable as she showed herself to hercules for what typhons and monstrous giants did she not oppose against him which of his enemies did she not fortify with store of arms deep rivers steep mountains and the foreign strength of massy elephants now had not alexander been a personage of transcending wisdom actuated by the impulse of a more than ordinary virtue but had he been supported only by fortune he would have trusted to her as her favorite and spared himself the labor and the turmoil of raging so many armies and fighting so many battles the turmoil of so many sieges and pursuits the vexations of revolting nations and haughty princes not enduring the curb of foreign dominion and all his tedious marches into bactria maracanda and sogdiana among faithless and rebellious nations who were ever breaking out afresh with new wars like the hydra putting forth a new head so soon as one was cut off and here i may seem to utter an absurdity but i will venture to speak it as being an undoubted truth that it was by fortune that he came very near losing the reputation of being the son of jupiter ammon for who but one sprung from the gods hercules excepted would ever have undertaken and finished those hazardous and toilsome labors which he did yet what did hercules do but terrify lions pursue wild boars and scare birds enjoined thereby by one evil man 
that he might not have leisure for those greater actions of pursuing Ateus and putting an end to the murders of Bessarus. But it was virtue that enjoined Alexander to undertake that godlike labor, not covetousness of the golden burden of ten thousand camels, not the possession of the Median women or glorious ornaments of Persian luxury, not greediness of the Calibonian wine or the fish of Hyrcania, but that he might reduce all mankind, as it were, into one family, under one form of government and the same custom of intercourse and conversation. This love of virtue was thoroughly inbred, and increased and ripened as he grew in years, so that once being to entertain the Persian ambassadors in his father's absence, he never asked them any questions that savored of boyish imbecility, never troubled them to answer any questions about the golden vine, the pendant gardens, or what habit the king wore but still desired to be satisfied in the chiefest concerns of the empire. What force the Persians brought into the field, and in what part of the army the king fought, as Ulysses asked, where are the magazines of arms, and where the barbed steeds provided for the war? He also inquired which were the nearest roads for them that traveled from the sea up into the country, at all of which the ambassadors were astonished and said, This youth is a great prince, but ours a rich one. No sooner was Philip interred, but his resolution hurried him to cross the sea, and having already grasped it in his hopes, and preparations he made all imaginable haste to set foot in asia but fortune opposed him diverted him and kept him back creating a thousand vexatious troubles to delay and stop him first she contrived by the illyrian and tribalic wars exciting to hostility the neighboring barbarians but they, after many dangers run and many terrible encounters, being at length chased even as far as Scythia, beyond the river Ister, and returned back to prosecute his first design. But then again spiteful fortune stirred up the Thebans against him, and entangled him in the Grecian war and in the dire necessity of defending himself against his fellow-countrymen and relations with fire and sword and hideous slaughter, which war being brought to a dreadful end, a way he presently crossed into Asia, as Philarchus relates, with only thirty days' provision, as Aristobulus reports, with seventy talents, having before sold and divided among his friends his own revenues and those of his crown. Only Perdiccas refused what he offered him, asking him at the same time what he had left for himself, and when Alexander replied, 
nothing but hopes. Then said he, We will be content with the same, for it is not just to accept thy goods, but we will wait for those of Darius. What were then the hopes with which Alexander passed into Asia? Not a vast power mustered out of populous cities, nor fleets sailing through mountains, not whips and fetters, the instruments of barbarians' fury, to curb and manacle the sea. But in his small army there was surpassing desire of glory, emulation among those of equal age, and a noble strife to excel honor and virtue among friends. Then, as for himself, he carried with him all these great hopes, piety towards the gods, fidelity to his friends, generous frugality, temperance, beneficence, contempt of death, magnanimity, humanity, decent affability, candid integrity, constancy in counsel, quickness in execution, love of precedence and honor, and an effectual purpose to follow the steps of virtue. And though Homer, in describing the beauty of Agamemnon, seems not to have observed the rules of decorum or probability in any of his three similitudes, like thundering Jove's his awful head and eyes, the gazing crowd with majesty surprise, in every part with form celestial graced, his breast like Neptune's, and like Mars his waist. Yet as for Alexander, and if his celestial parents formed and composed him of several virtues, may we not conclude that he had the wisdom of Cyrus, the temperance of Agesilus, the foresight of Themistocles, the skill of Philip, the daring courage of Brasidas, the shrewdness and political skill of Pericles. Certainly, if we compare him with the most ancient heroes, he was more temperate than Agamemnon, who preferred a captive before his lawful wife, though but newly wedded, while Alexander, before he was legally married, abstained from his prisoners. He was more magnanimous than Achilles, who accepted a small sum of money for the redemption of Hector's dead body, while Alexander spared no expense to adorn the funeral of Darius. Achilles accepted gifts and bribes from his friends as the atonement of his wrath. Alexander, when once a victor, enriched his enemies he was much more pious than Diomede, who scrupled not to fight against the gods, while Alexander ascribed to heaven all his successes. Finally, he was more bewailed for his relations than Ulysses, whose mother died for grief, while the mother of Alexander's enemy, out of affection, bare him company in his death. In short, if Solon proved so wise a ruler by fortune, if Meltiades led his armies by fortune, if Aristides was so 
renowned for his justice by fortune then there's nothing that can be called the work of virtue then is virtue only an airy fiction and a word that passes with some show of glory through the life of man but feigned and magnified by sophists and lawyers but if every one of these whom we have mentioned was wealthy or poor weak or strong deformed or beautiful long or short-lived by fortune but made himself a great captain a great lawgiver famous for governing kingdoms and commonwealths by virtue of reason then in god's name let us compare alexander with the best of them solon by law made a great abatement upon the payment of the athenians private debts which he called his burden easing law alexander discharged the debts of his macedonians at his own expense pericles laying a tax upon the greeks expended the money in building temples to beautify the citadel of athens alexander sent home ten thousand talents out of the spoils of the barbarians for the building of temples to the gods all over greece rosidus advanced his fame all over greece by breaking through the enemy's army lying encamped by the seaside near methany but when you read of that daring jump of alexander's so astonishing to the hearers much more to them that beheld it when he threw himself from the walls of the oxidracian metropolis among the thickest of the enemy assailing him on every side with spears darts and swords tell me where you can meet with such an example of matchless prowess or to what you can compare it but to a gleam of lightning violently flashing from a cloud and impetuously driven by the wind such was the appearance of alexander as he leaped like an apparition to the earth glittering in his flaming armor the enemy at first amazed and struck with horror retreated and fell back till seeing him single they came on again with a redoubled force now was not this a great and splendid testimony of fortune's kindness to throw him into an inconsiderable and barbarous town and there to enclose and immure him a prey to worthless enemies and when his friends made haste to his assistance to break the scaling ladders and to overthrow and cast them down of three that got upon the walls and flung themselves down in the defence endearing fortune presently dispatched one the other pierced and struck with a shower of darts could only be said to live without the macedonians foamed and filled the air with helpless cries having no engines at hand all they could do was to dig down the walls with their swords tear out the stones with their nails and almost rend them out with their teeth all this while alexander fortune's favorite whom she always covered with her protection like a wild beast entangled in a snare stood deserted and destitute 
of all assistance, not laboring for Susa, Babylon, Bactria, or to vanquish the mighty Porus. For to miscarry in great and glorious attempts is no reproach, but so malicious was fortune, so kind to the barbarians, such a hater of Alexandria, that she aimed not only at his life and body, but at bereaving him of his honor and sullying his renown. For Alexander's fall had never been so much lamented, had he perished near Euphrates or Hydespes by the hand of Darius, or by the horses, swords, and axes of the Persians, fighting with all their might and main in defense of their king, or had he tumbled from the walls of Babylon, and all his hopes together. Thus Pelopidas and Epaminondas fell, whose death was to be ascribed to their virtue, not to such a poor misfortune as this. But what was the singular act of fortune's favor which we are now inquiring into? What indeed but in the farthest nook of a, of a barbarous country, on the farther side of a river, within the walls of a miserable village, to pin up and hide the lord and king of the world, that he might there perish shamefully at the hands of barbarians, who should knock him down and pelt him with whatever came next to hand. There the first blow he received with the battle-axe cleft his helmet and entered his skull. At the same time another shot him with an Indian arrow in the breast near one of his paps, the head being four fingers broad and five in length, which together with the weight of the staff which projected from the wound did not a little torment him. But what was worst of all, while he was thus defending himself from his enemies before him, when he had laid a bold attempter that approached his person sprawling upon the earth with his sword, a fellow from a mill close by came behind him, and with a great iron pestle gave him such a bang upon his neck as deprived him of the present both of his senses and his sight. However, his virtue did not yet forsake him, but supplied him still with courage, infusing strength with all and speed into those about him. For Ptolemy, Limnaeus, and Leonatus, and some others who had mounted or broken through the wall, made to his succor, and stood about him like so many bulwarks of his virtue. Out of mere affection and kindness, to their sovereign exposing their bodies, their faces, and their lives in his defense. For it is not fortune that overrules men to run the hazard of death for brave princes, but the love of virtue allures them, as natural affection charms and entices bees to surround and guard their chief commander. What person then, at that time, beholding in security this strange adventure, would not have confessed that he had seen a desperate combat of fortune against virtue, 
and that the barbarians were undeservedly superior through fortune's help but that the greeks resisted beyond imagination through the force of virtue so that if the barbarians had vanquished it had been the act of fortune or some evil genius or divine retribution but as the greeks became the victors they owed their conquest to their virtue their prowess their friendship and fidelity to each other for these were all the lifeguard alexander had at that time fortune having interposed the wall between him and all his other forces so that neither fleets nor armies cavalry nor infantry could stand him in any stead therefore the macedonians routed the barbarians and buried those that fell under the ruins of their own town but this little availed alexander for he was carried off with the dart sticking in his breast having now war in his own bowels while the arrow in his bosom was a kind of cord or rather nail that was driven through his breastplate and fastened to his body when they went about to dress him the fork shaped of the iron head would not permit the surgeons to draw it forth from the root of the wound being fixed in the solid parts of the breast that fortify the heart nor dost they attempt to cut away the shaft that stuck out fearing they should put him to an excess of torment by the motion of the iron in the cleft of the bone and cause and cause a new flux of blood not easy to be stopped alexander observing their hesitation and delay endeavored himself with a little knife to cut off the shaft close to the skin but his hand failed him being seized with a heavy numbness by reason of the inflammation of the wound thereupon he commanded the surgeons and those that stood by him to try the same thing themselves and not to be afraid giving them all the encouragement he could those that wept he upbraided for their weakness others he called deserters that refused him their assistance in such a time of need at length calling to his friends he said let no one of you fear for me for how shall i believe you to be contemners of death when you betray yourselves to be afraid of mine end of section thirty six Recording by Tony Richardson. End of the second oration of Plutarch concerning the fortune or virtue of Alexander the Great.